Welcome to the Product Design Podcast. I'm your host, Seth Coolen, founder of UX Cabin, where we create world-class web and mobile apps. I'm excited to bring you a behind-the-scenes look into the lives of some of the most interesting and talented people in product design. We'll get strategic advice on how they got to where they are today and things they wish they would have known earlier in their career. All right, today we have John Moore with us. He is the product design principal at Innovate Map, a digital product agency in Indianapolis, where he leads a team of four product designers. He's passionate about design systems, tooling, and helping new designers grow in their craft. John, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks so much for having me, Seth. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So let's kind of get kicked off here and dig into a little bit of your background. How did you get started in in design, in UX, in in product design? How did you find your learning path and and get to where you are today? Great question. And I, I think it it's exactly the way that you stated it. It very much was a finding my path. And it, it was much more meandering than it was a straight line for sure. So coming out of high school, to be quite honest, I wasn't super sure what I wanted to do. I knew the things that I was roughly interested in. I liked art. I liked this idea of inventing things. I was really into uh, computers, but not really so much the programming side. And to make a long story short, I ended up going to Purdue University where I studied computer science with a focus in uh, machine learning and data intelligence. So lots of math, lots of statistics. I, I really got to say I, I struggled my way through. Not for lack of trying. Let that be clear. I tried very hard. It just... Uh, you know, some things come naturally to people and, and I was not one of those people and it certainly did not come naturally. So I did graduate, you know, my GPA wasn't, wasn't too bad, but my, my very first job out of school, uh, of course, then was in software engineering. So I was actually coding and I was doing backend stuff and things like that at a, a software company here in Indianapolis. Shortly after starting, maybe a month or so in, uh, they kind of had this college program where you go through a rotation to try and find your best fit with the team members and the things that you know you're best at and feel most fulfilled uh, doing, and uh, after my first rotation doing some of this more engineering stuff, I realized, boy, I'm not good at this. I don't feel fulfilled. I'm unhappy. It was one of those where I was dreading going to work, not because I didn't enjoy the people or like what it was that they did, but it was honestly because I didn't feel like I was good at it, and I just felt like I was exposing myself every day because I I wasn't performing the way that I honestly thought that I should be. So I felt like a, a huge fraud in this position and it was very uncomfortable. So I approached my manager at the time who was responsible for this kind of new grad program and said, basically that I was very raw and honest with her. And I said, I just feel like I'm not good at this. I feel like I'm asking way too many questions, which for anyone listening, by all means, ask questions. That is the most important part of starting any new job is to don't be shy, ask questions. But it just seemed like I was asking too many questions and they were too fundamental. And that just worried me. And, and I didn't, I wasn't happy and it didn't feel like the right fit for me. And honestly, it didn't feel like the right fit for the company either. Here they are spending money on me and I just didn't feel like they were getting value out of me. So I was, I was very honest with her and she said, well, we have this newer team called user experience, the UX team. It's two guys. And what year was this? Um, this would have been 2012. Coming up on 10 years now. So this is 2012. Like right in the raw stages of, of what is UX. It really, it really, really was. And I think that's part of the reason her answer was what it was. She said, you know, we have this, this newer team. It's UX. They're doing UX things. That's how it was, it was talked about then. You do UX, you know, right. because we didn't, we didn't know better. And so she's like, why don't you go and spend a rotation with, with them? But to make a long story short, it just instantly felt like such a good fit. I was designing things. At the time, I was actually doing some HTML and CSS. So I was helping the lead designer who was still him, himself more junior in UX as a discipline. Uh, he'd been doing it and he had worked at Autodesk and he was designing UIs and things like that. I just mean like UX as a, as a discipline in general in the, in the, the global marketplace of product and, and tech. Sure. Just wasn't super mature yet. And so... We were kind of figuring it out together, uh, which was fun. And uh, to this day, I actually still work with him. His name's Christian Beck. He's been my mentor the whole way through. And so oh, awesome. I, I credit you know, a lot of my success in my role and where I am today 
absolutely to his willingness to mentor me and to take me under his wing and to just learn alongside me. I think he, he was really great at identifying my potential and elevating the things that he was noticing I was good at and passionate about and uh, leaving space for me to, to do that. So yeah, that's kind of the roundabout way that I, I, I always say I tripped and fell into UX design. But truly, I think if, if I was a high school senior going into college and someone described the role of a product designer and what they did and what they were responsible for, absolutely, I would have gone into that really? as, a, as a major or something because it just, you know, growing up as a kid, I was super into Legos and I loved connects and I loved building things. And if you had asked me when I was younger, like what I wanted to be, I probably would have told you an inventor. But like sure. inventors haven't been around since like, Thomas Edison, you know, you think of inventors and you, <laughs> you think of these people who created, you know, the very first, you know, horse-drawn carriage or the Model T car or the light bulb or whatever. So like telling my parents or friends, like, I want to be an inventor someday that have been like, okay, you know, some quack who's out in a garage tinkering around with different parts. But truly, I really think that like product designers are inventors because you are just solving problems in unique and special ways through design and through technology. And so Kid John wanting to be an inventor and uh, aspiring to be someone who creates things out of thin air. I, I truly feel like that's what I do today. Oh, it's awesome. I One of the things I love most about both design and development is like just the ability to create something from scratch and not have to consume resources or like buy buy things and like buy the wrong things and totally. have to make trips to, you know, mm-hmm. source that material. It's just like, it's whatever your mind can think of, you can, you can do. And that's just so exciting to me. Absolutely. It is, it is an, a, an inexpensive hobby with regards to money spent, you know, provided right. you have the, the, the technology and the software and things like that. There is, there is an entry point to get in, but it's not sure. like photography, which, which I also do on the side, which is, <laughs> incredibly expensive. And I don't recommend that anyone pick it up because it is, you know, so expensive to do. Granted, now we have iPhones in our pockets and things like that, that, you know, the barrier to entry into photography is much, much lower. But yeah, you're totally right. You know, if, if you want to create a product and design something, just start designing. And, uh, you know, if you don't have access to a computer, you don't have access to software, reach out to, you know, your local library or university or school and find a place to, you know, get that technology. And there are plenty of products out there that have educational pricing, or it's just free because people want students to to become great on these tools and uh, explore where their passions may lead them. So super exciting. Totally. So it's interesting, you know, how, how we kind of found ourselves getting into UX design or product design. I kind of feel I was in a similar way. I I got a marketing degree and I ended up getting my first job as a front end developer just because I had like built sites through college. I didn't know there was a difference between front end and back end when I got this job. I just fell into this opportunity, right? Sure. I kind of similar to you, I'm like, I think I'm actually I'm I'm kind of handy at like CSS and stuff, but I think I'm actually I would like design better. The space was like maybe some graphic designers are kind of shifting over, but there wasn't like this real tight knit, like this is what a, you know, UX designer is and this is their, their job and this is their focus. And so it was kind of easy to kind of trailblaze that and just say, you know, I'm this and, and no one would tell you otherwise. Right. Uh, I kind of feel like today with just seeing the amount of younger designers knowing more about what product design is and what what UX design is. I would be interested in your take on, do you think it's harder to get into product design now just because so many more people are aware of it and you know all those all those positions are kind of filled up or or like what's your take on, you know, new designers or or people who don't have any design experience getting into product design? Boy, that's a great question. There's there's a lot to unpack there. I think at least what we've been seeing at our agency and with all the clients that we work with, um, helping them build their products and stuff, there is, is certainly no shortage of positions that are open. 
And, you know, maybe this is something we can touch on later, the the specific positions that are open and how they tend to be, you know, you need three to five years of senior level experience in product design. I I have very strong opinions about that whole that whole thing. But as far as getting into product design, you know, there are a number of schools that are starting to create programs around usually what's called human computer interaction. And those are the types of degrees that you're going to see at places like you know, Indiana University has one. I know there are a lot out in New York City. There are some at, you know, Stanford. And they're, they're really starting to pop up here and there. And a human computer interaction degree is going to give you a lot of foundational focus on kind of the psychology of users, people, real people interacting with technology to solve problems. And I think those degrees are really, really wonderful. Um, And they give you a spectacular foundation in really that user empathy, which is so important in, you know, a product designer to do their job correctly and as well as possible. However, what I think is missing from a lot of these degree programs is a focus on the visuals and actually bringing these things Hmm. to life. Granted, I have I have a decent amount of experience with uh, graduates coming from these HCI programs and things like that, but I certainly haven't seen them all. Uh, But what I'm finding is that they will do their capstone project, for example, and they'll do all kinds of user research and they really, really go deep in generative user research and, you know, quantitative and qualitative research uh, to understand the problem, to help them draft a solution. And then they may do a little bit of uh, solutioning to figure out how we might want to solve that problem. And then they spend like a week on actually designing something. And it, the design to me, at least in my experience, when I'm looking at this kind of from afar, it just seems like such an afterthought in a lot of these programs. And so what happens is you get these people coming out of school who are very talented in the user empathy side of things or the research side sure. of things. And then you ask them to design something and it just isn't there. And it's not, it's not sure. that you can't teach it. Um, I do believe that you can teach it. But if there were more people focusing on des- like the de- design as an actual discipline, very specific to product, because you can go to school for graphic design. And in fact, you can even go to school for web design to a certain degree. But even if you go to school for web design, I still feel like the focus is HTML and CSS and JavaScript. Right. And and oftentimes there's no focus on here's the psychology and the problem. Here's the person who's going to use it. Now let's fill in the middle with design. And those those decisions of how a design manifests itself into thin air, it's hard. It's really, really hard. And I do think it can be taught. And I just don't think it is being taught or at least not to the degree that it could be. And so there are glimmers of of it happening. I I have experience with some high school programs have design courses and you know they may touch on user experience in a lesson or two or spend a week designing an app or something like that. And I think that's phenomenal. I think it's such a great start to expose younger talent to those types of um, careers and disciplines that exist so that when they go into school, they can pursue the types of skills. And and that's specific what I'm saying, pursuing skills instead of necessarily pursuing a, a, a specific major. Because as far okay. as I know, there aren't, I don't know that you can major in product design. Maybe you can. Right. Seth, maybe well, you by and the I time, should, Yeah, we need to start it. Maybe they by they the time that, this is, per, yeah. It's gonna be outdated. It's gonna be called something exactly. new. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But yeah, I mean, this is, I need to get off my soapbox, but that's that's kind of my perspective with getting into product design is it is like this, there's no straight path to it, which I think is an advantage in some ways because you can end up in product design and have started somewhere completely different. True. You may have started in fine art or you may have started in psychology and found your way eventually to product design and you said, wow, this is this is it. This is where I'm meant to be. Or you could come from a more traditional design background, or maybe maybe you were, you know, engineering uh, kind of like I was, and then sort of find your way into it. But just that exposure to product disciplines at the high school level, and even the continuing education college level, people just need to be exposed to job titles. And I think if they knew, then they'd be able to do some of their own research to figure out 
the types of things that they could be doing to prepare them for a career in that. That's really, yeah, that's, there's, there's a, a few things I want to dive in on that. I think initially it, it is kind of crazy that we're like, all right, 18 year old, you've done however many years of math and mm-hmm. science and history, pick, pick one, uh, a career from one of those three or, you know, whatever. Right. Exactly. Um, but it's like, you pay a hundred thousand dollars to go decide what you want to do for the rest of your life. Exactly. It's, it's so high stress. And like, I just wish these students knew the variety of, of what's out there because it, it seems like, and you'll have to excuse me, this won't be the first time that I use like a food metaphor or a food analogy, but it's like high school student deciding on what they want for dessert. And they just say, I want cake. Saying that you want cake is such a generic answer to what do you want for dessert? Because how many different types of cake are there? There's chocolate cake, there's carrot cake, there's pineapple upside down cake, there's birthday cake, you know, and and I feel the same way with traditional college majors. And I think if you were to, if you were to do a poll, which would be something fun to do of high school students and say, what do you want to study in school? I would put my career on the line to say that they are going to give you an answer basically in 20 different categories. And those categories will be super generic. They'll say, oh, I'm going to study chemistry or I'm going to study mathematics or I, or I want to be a doctor um, or I want to do arts in business and things like that. And they're, they're basically saying, I want cake. That's what they're saying. And it's understandable. They don't, they don't know otherwise. And I think college is part of that journey of figuring out where you might want to specialize. I just wish that the different types of cake were exposed to students earlier. Yeah. And so, you know, the opportunities that I've had to go and talk to students um, at the college level and the high school level, part of my presentation is literally just a PowerPoint slide of job titles. And, you know, I say, you're taking a design course today. These are all the different types of things that you can do in design. And it's everything from industrial design to civil engineering and designing roads, to product design, to marketing design and brand design and motion design. Like there are so many different directions you can go with it. And I just know, you know, this, this Gen Z that we have before us, I think is one of the most creative generations that has ever existed in time. Think about the tools that they have at their fingertips where they pop open Instagram and they're doing photo editing, right? You know, the barrier to entry to get into photo editing when I was younger, you'd have to spend like a thousand dollars on Adobe Lightroom <laughs> and it's just crazy. And now you, now you carry around Lightroom in your pocket. And, yep. um, and, and so I think it really has just created such a, a generation of creative people that if they knew the variety of things that they could do as careers, whatever it may be, maybe it's not in design. Uh, maybe it's something else, uh, but there's just so much out there that you can do. And there, I, there is a job for everything and there is a job for everyone and something that you will find your passion in and you will not believe that people will pay you money to do that thing. So yeah. it's exciting. It, it's exciting helping people see that. The other really cool thing is that uh, I feel like the UX product design space, it's not really like a big gatekeeper category. Like personally hiring, you know, people for my team, I care zero about what degree or if you have a degree that, you know, that certainly can open doors for you and it can certainly give you advantages, no doubt. And there's lots of intangible things that come with college, but there is nothing to say that you can't be a good product designer without a degree or without self-learning or self-teaching. And Mm -hmm. I think it's so cool because there's, there's, you know, there's individuals who one don't know, you know, how how do you map a degree to product design? And two, um, how do you pay for that? What if, what if I just start working as an intern, start making $15 an hour, $20 an hour and get a job in a year versus go away for four years and spend a bunch of money and then start looking for a job. Like totally. And I think people are starting to come to the, you know, this newer generation starting to be like, Hmm, what are the, what are the real benefits of college? Should I do it? Like what's the trade off of like time and money versus 
you know, all, a lot of employers being like, eh, degrees aren't really that important for yeah. these specific yeah. fields. Certainly. And I mean, you even see that in, in fields like, you know, software engineering and things like that. There are a, a lot of software engineers that I know who didn't go to college, but, you know, in certain industries and professions, if you got it, then you got it. And, right. you know, in exactly. design, if you've got an eye at age 16 and by the time you're 18, you're doing, you know, really incredible work, then like, that's great. And I think people will hire you for it. Right. I, I will say that like, there absolutely is value for the privileged percentage of people who do get to go to universities or colleges, whether it be one year or eight years or 10 years, there is value that comes from, you know, textbook learning and lecturing sure. and things like that to, to learn those different types of skills. There's also a lot of the, the soft skills that I think you can just get exposure to in college, you know, exposure to different cultures, people of different backgrounds, uh, being able to collaborate with uh, different types of people, a better understanding of deadlines and needing to perform <laughs> and wanting to do your best yeah. and, and meet meet and, and exceed expectations. So there's definitely value in, in college. Yep. And I, I certainly wouldn't want a listener to go, well, John told me not to go to school. And so I'm not going to go to school. <laughs> but, you know, I also understand that it is getting more and more expensive. And I, I do absolutely recognize that I was privileged to be able to go to school and be in a place where I could pursue higher education. Um, yep. But yeah, you're totally right that like in design, I, I do think that it's something that you can teach yourself. I mean, look at me. I was, I was lucky to have met Christian at the time. I was lucky to have, you know, had the audacity to reach out to my manager and say, uh, I'm not good at this. Is there something else I can do? And, you know, not everyone has that luxury, but yeah, I, I do feel lucky to have landed where I was, but I think I'm a bit of a testament to the fact that like you don't necessarily need formal education. If you're good at it, you're good at it and, and you should be hired and rewarded for it. So, yeah. What does like a typical day in, in the life of John look like, you know, working at, at Innovate Map? What are, you know, things that you have to do, things that are on your plate that kind of describe your day? Yeah, great question. So at Innovate Map, like you said, I'm the principal product design lead, which means that I have a team of three product designers and uh, we are collectively uh, working on a number of different client projects at any given time. I would say each individual designer is on between four and six client projects. That seems to be kind of the sweet spot for you know level of work and capacity and uh, things like that. And so I would say a typical day or even a typical week for me is working on design work. So I would say maybe 60% of my week is doing design. I'm inside of Figma. I'm working on designs. I'm inside of Sketch, uh, working on designs, things like that. The other 40% of my week is presenting designs to clients to get okay. feedback. It is working with designers to give them feedback or to get feedback from my design team. Because just because I lead the team doesn't mean that I know everything. I certainly don't. And they are a wealth of information for me. And so it's working with them. It's also just working on Innovate Map as a business to help us uh, develop new offerings or, you know, get into new markets and help drum up new prospects and things like that. So um, I get to do a little bit of everything. I think that's the advantage of working at, you know, a smaller company. We're about 30 to 35 people right now. And so uh, okay. still small, but but certainly growing. And we really have our, our heels dug in uh, to the market in terms of uh, positioning ourselves as a digital product agency. And so, yeah, that's kind of a typical day or week is doing a lot of design work. I get to cool. talk a lot and present to clients a lot, get feedback, give feedback. And I'm always just on the lookout for new things to do and new ways to grow. Nice. So you mentioned getting feedback from clients. I think getting feedback is one of those untalked about skills that goes so far, like mm -hmm. uh, in how you set up the type of feedback you're looking for and how you present it and how you solicit it. How do you set up a good feedback session where clients, where you might not want them to necessarily speak on the aesthetic or you want to communicate to them that this is a wireframe and it's not yeah. going to look like that. How do you set up feedback in a good way that gives you the, the right feedback you need for your team? 
I love this question. And I have to put a little bit of an asterisk next to it, a little footnote to say my answer that I'm about to give is different than if you are a brand designer. Brand designers have to deal with a whole different level of emotion and subjectivity and things like that. And I think as a product designer, I have a little bit more of an advantage because it is much more data-driven, it's user-driven, and there are a lot of invisible hands guiding the work. And so I, I feel like I get less feedback on, I just don't like the way that this looks. And it's more about the function of the thing, which I think is the appropriate feedback. Right. So I just wanted to set the stage there. For for me and my team, it is so important. It's one of the first things that once I feel like one of the designers on our team is ready to start presenting to a client, one of the first things that I tell them is before you do anything, before you show a single screen, set the stage for what they're about to see. Literally tell them the screens that you're about to show them. Begin by telling a story. And literally, if you want to give names or if you want to set a scenario and say, okay, so pretend you're a user, you walk in in the morning, you get your coffee and you sit down and you land on your dashboard. That's what I'm about to show you here. And I'm going to walk you through uh, that experience. That's kind of the first part is setting the stage for what they're about to see. The second part and the most important part is, like you said, literally directing the client and helping them understand how to give feedback. It's one of the hardest things to do. And in fact, it's one of the reasons why like wineries exist and like these wine tasting tours. Like I like wine. I'm not like a wine person or whatever, but like I think it's a good analogy because The reason you go on a wine tour or you do these wine tastings is because there's a professional there who is telling you how to taste the thing and what to what to try and taste and what to try and notice. You literally, to a certain degree, kind of have to be a wine sommelier Uh, a little bit, a design sommelier (laughs) to tell people like what to look at in the design and what to notice. And so when I'm sort of prepping the client, I'll say things like, okay, the type of feedback that I'm interested in, first and foremost, I want you to focus on, are we solving a problem, period? Like, is a problem being solved by the screen that we're looking at today? Because if it's not solving a problem, then it's it's not good. We've sort of missed the mark. So that's the most basic thing. If I've done my job right, then it, it will be solving a problem. The second, uh, the second bit is, are we solving the problem for the right user? And that's where things start to get a little bit more challenging because you might be designing a great screen and the interaction or the workflow is great, but it's not for the right user. Yep. It's maybe for a different role in the organization. And you know, you can make the slickest product ever, but if it's not for the right person, then they're not going to use it or it's not going to be succeeding the way that it should. So that's kind of the next piece. So is it solving a problem? Is it solving a problem for the right person? And then we get into, I'll say, once we get past that, I want you to look at the page and make sure that for this person who is using it or going through this workflow, do they have all the information that they need to make decisions and to do their job and to reach the objective that they're they're seeking? If they can look at the information and identify gaps, like maybe there's a piece of data that's just missing from the page, maybe there's extra information that is just distracting to the user, that we should take out. I love that kind of feedback because yep. those are blind spots for me. I can't necessarily be a complete expert in your medical device industry or your insurance industry or your data warehousing industry. That's that's why I'm leaning on you, the client, to help me figure out what those gaps are. And I will fill those, I, I'll fill in the product gap to make sure that the experience is correct we are utilizing the best practices for uh, solving common problems in design. And then, of course, like baseline under all of that, and this is what I say last, is you are more than welcome to react viscerally to the way that this thing looks from a visual standpoint. But if I've done my job right, it should look great. Um, right. And I'll kind of, t- you know, it's maybe a little bit of leading the witness, just saying like, it's going to look good. But I think part of that is like the confidence in you know, my design work that I like our designers to portray in in meetings. Yep. But also it's just like we're designers and that's what we're hired to do. So like that is the expectation. If you order chicken at a at a restaurant, you're gonna expect that it's cooked through. Um right. and so it's, to to the same degree, like if you get a, a product designed by a designer, it should look good. 
that's not necessarily the hard part. I think the hard part is everything else. Yeah, it's only so many ways you can make a table or a button look, right? It's <laughs> exactly, it, exactly. I, you know, it's it's more about the you know the hierarchy, the you know where your eye goes in in order of importance as to what tasks the user's doing and all that. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's kind of funny you mentioned like the sommelier thing. I kind of think of it as a doctor patient relationship mm. in, in that in America, maybe this, this is kind of a moot point because we have commercials that say, ask your doctor about, you know, this drug and this drug and ask them to give it to you. But sometimes clients are like, what we need is for you to change this. And it, it's kind of uh, one of those things where it's like, you know, you're going to your doctor and you're like, I need you to give me this pill. A good doctor would be like, well, why do you need that specific pill? And they're like, well, because my elbow hurts. And the doctor might be able to come in and be like, oh, well, I don't think what you're asking is going to achieve that. Let's mm. let's take a look at what the actual problem is and figure yeah. it out. It's like, oh, you actually need a sling. You don't need a pill because, you know, the, the patient's not the expert in that field, right? They, they can't. And I think that those types of things were very common for me in like my early mm-hmm. career. I would show someone something and I would just say, what do you think of this? And they would, you know, they would make all of these very prescriptive comments for change. Mm-hmm. And because I didn't set the stage, I didn't, you know, they didn't know what they were supposed to give good feedback on. They right. were just, they were trying to be like, okay, I need to get to the end goal of what I want, whether it's more customers mm-hmm. or faster usage or whatever. And um, it's it's one of those, yeah, getting feedback is very tricky and, and setting the stage is, is a very unique skill that I don't know how to learn it other than say, just do this a lot. Yeah, you really just have to to practice and do it. And I think what's so interesting about getting good at receiving feedback is you will you will realize that just because a design is good doesn't mean that you'll get good feedback on it. I think you can show someone literally the perfect design. The data says that it's the perfect design. You might even have users who you've shown the design to and validated that in fact this is the perfect design and we need to ship it and build it. But if you present it wrong and you don't set the stage for the feedback in the right way, you will be sent on a wild goose chase and things won't go the way that you expected, which seems so counterintuitive because like I said, the data supports it. The users told us this is right, but it really is your responsibility as a designer to help people see and understand the problem that you're solving and why you're solving it that way and why what you're showing them is the right way to do it versus some other way. Yeah. One other thing I wanted to pick your brain about as you've, you've kind of transitioned in your career in, in your role, wanted to get your kind of your landscape of the different types of places that you've worked at. You're in an agency now. Have you always been in agency work or have you been in places that have, you know, just a sole product that you work on or uh, maybe larger corporations where, where design is just kind of a piece of, of the whole puzzle? Yeah. So my, my, I have a couple different um, answers. So I did do an internship when I was in college and I worked over the summer for a government contractor doing engineering. And I'm only giving this example, even though it's not designed just to kind of give you some variety of types of companies I've worked for. And that one was, as you can imagine, it was a government contractor. We were doing work with the military and NASA, highly regulated. It was a very particular type of work. So so that was one environment I'd been in. My first job, the one that eventually uh, steered me toward UX design, I was working in-house at a software product company of, I want to say it was 200, 200 to 300 people. So reasonably sizable uh, software company uh, building marketing automation software. And technically speaking, they had been going through an acquisition and then a much larger company of, I think, 10,000 employees had purchased them. So I was working in-house on this product, uh, the single product, 
which of course had a bunch of different features inside of it. So that was kind of my exposure to the agile development process and working with PMs and understanding, unfortunately, the, the just the time it takes to build uh, software. I wouldn't say unfortunately, I think I just got an appreciation of like, wow, this takes a long time. Like, you know, I maybe designed this page in a week and I'm not going to see it for a year and a half. Um, you know, that's just, that's just software and it it depends on the organization you're in. Some, some move a little bit faster than others. So that was kind of the second place I worked and that was in-house, uh, just working on a singular product and you could really, really get deep into the details and iterate on the same things over and over again, which has a lot of benefits to it. And then where I am now and where I've been for almost six years now is in, in an agency setting. And so in any given year, we're working with 30 to 40 different uh, companies. I will probably work with 10 to 15 clients in some capacity doing uh, product design work, whether that be conceptual work to help them sort of plan a vision for where their product is headed, or I'm working with maybe a business that's scaling an existing product and we are designing new features and doing more production level work for them. So I've kind of been able to see both the in-house experience to get an appreciation for that um, and be on an agency where I just get tons of variety every single day. Yep. And, um, you know, my day is very different. I'm, now I'm guessing you prefer the agency side then. For me personally, yes. I, I'm a person who gets bored a lot. I have <laughs> more hobbies than I care to admit. I love the variety. I am insatiably curious and I love just learning new things and trying to get yep. really, really good at them. And so being in an agency setting, I have that opportunity to work with new clients every, you know, three to six months who may work in entirely different industries. And like I said, I can't become an expert in it, but I can learn a lot about an industry pretty yeah. quickly. And uh yeah, it just becomes really, really interesting. And uh just seeing how big the world is and how many problems exist out there and how many people's right. lives you can impact. The the thing with agency work is it's never boring. It it might wear you out. You might feel stretched thin, but it is never boring. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I, I think on the on the product side, it's it's almost like a a discipline or like a mental strength you have to have to be able to work on the same thing over and over and over again and just mm-hmm. iterate on that or or build onto it. For me, my my head does very well with, you know, a little bit of variety. Like sure. I'm really stuck with this problem and thankfully I can go work on something else for a day or two and then come back to that and hopefully I'll figure it out by then, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. You're completely right. So um, you lead a team at Innovate Map. What are some ways that you try to help grow and develop your team as you guys go through projects and, and, and things like that? Yeah, I, I think there are a couple different ways that you can approach it and things that, that I do. When you think of like being a designer, there are multiple facets. It's not just being able to push pixels and create you know, beautiful products and things like that. That's certainly part of it. And developing the visual side of things through just very tactical design feedback. That's definitely part of, of, of my job. And it's part of honestly participating on the design team myself. Like I said before, like I'm getting feedback from others who maybe have less experience than I do, but like they they know what they're doing too. And so, you know, I love receiving that kind of feedback. Uh, so there's the visual side of it. I work a lot with the team on presenting their work to clients. Yep. Because I think arguably the the job of a designer is not necessarily it's not necessarily design. I think the job of a designer is conveying ideas and conveying solutions in the right way. And we just happen to use the medium of design to do it. But I could make the argument and it would kind of be an interesting client project to experiment on where I didn't actually produce any design work but just talked with clients to collaborate on solutions without necessarily needing to put pen to paper and things like that. Mm. And I think that's, it's a, it's such an important skill to develop for designers. And uh, you know, there are lots of articles out there written about like the most, what, what are the titles? It'll be like one of the most unexpected traits of great designers is, and almost every time it's, communication, 
or writing. And I think yeah. they're spot on. They're completely right because like I said, only about 60% of my week is actually doing designing. The other part of my week is talking to people and conveying my ideas and helping them understand why certain decisions were made or helping them understand why something is innovative or dealing with feedback or pushback, things like that. So I'll work with those uh, on those things, kind of those more soft skills and communication type skills with the design team. And then lastly, and this is what I really love doing in particular, is trying to understand what their individual superpower is. I think one of the Mm. things that we do really well at Innovate Map as an agency is, you know, of course, we have to have some sort of hierarchy at the company just in terms of like moving the business forward and making important business decisions and things like that. But every individual at the company has their own individual superpower where they are kind of the go-to person for that particular thing. And experience level doesn't really matter. So we just recently, I hired a designer on the product design team. Uh, He started in late December, early January and brand new, just graduated. Uh, So he has very little experience in front of clients. But what his superpower is, is he knows Figma inside and out and he can do prototyping like no one's business. And I don't know that. And he is the go-to person for that in the company. And he has actually helped us realize that, oh, wow, this is something that uh, we should lean into for client work. And so unearthing and uncovering, I think, each individual person's superpower or passion is something that I really love doing. And it a lot of it is just um, sitting back and listening and observing and asking questions and having just honest conversations with them to say, hey, what is it that you're loving doing? Or what is it that you yep. wish you were doing more of? And so you always have to be, whether you're leading a big team or leading one other person or not an official leader at all, but just trying to you know, be a great team member is talking to those people around you and um, having those you know, intimate professional conversations to help people really feel like you're advocating for them and helping them find and pursue the thing that they're most passionate about. Because if you can find that thing, boy, can magical things happen that you otherwise wouldn't have known about if you didn't ask. And so and it kind of gives think them that ownership. To, of, absolutely. I have this thing. Yeah, completely. And yeah, it, it just makes them feel so much more in control of their career. And uh, it, this happened a couple of years ago. We had someone who was on the product design team and she was doing product design, but we could tell she wasn't completely happy with what she was doing. Come to find out that like she was taking a bunch of classes online uh, through Skillshare and Linda and things like that on motion design. And now mm. she has completely shifted out of product design and is our full-time motion designer and does beautiful work. I mean, it's amazing. Yep. And so I'm so glad that we have a culture here at Innovate Map that supports uh, people's passions and what they love to do. And we don't really care what we hired you for. We want to figure out what it is that you're great at and what your superpower is and lean into that for your own professional satisfaction and fulfillment. And uh, ultimately, you know, for the better of the business. So yeah, that's, I think that's really fulfilling to do. Yeah. One of my philosophies is given that product design or UI design or UX design is somewhat of a contained level of not you you could spend you know infinite time but in order to get up and moving there's you know you can get someone up and running and productive in less time than it takes to be a doctor right sure absolutely Um, yeah one thing i really enjoy doing is like just identifying people for their either their their character or their attitude and being able to be like oh you might not know how to use figma yet but you are going to be great like yeah Let's, let's, you know, hire for, I don't want to say personality because that's, that's not the right term. You're hiring because you know, the future potential of this person is going to be, you know, incredible. Yeah, totally. And it's, it's such a, it's such a collaborative dance too, because like on the one hand, I don't want to, I don't want to tell someone what they should do just based off of what I'm seeing. I think they would be good at, like, I want them to be passionate about that too. Uh, But at the same time, I do think that you can really help, you know, whether it's colleagues or friends or family, see more in themselves 
then maybe they can see in their own self, if that makes sense. And it's hard to do, but like giving people difficult tasks that they didn't think that they'd be able to do, but then they do it and they're like, oh, actually I did it and I was pretty good at it and I didn't fail like I thought I did. But it's it's sort of towing that line of challenging them and helping them succeed little by little so that they start to see more of themselves and understand the potential that you or I might see in them that they just haven't yet seen themselves. I think people also have an idea of like, if I'm not good at this the first time I did it, then I just must not be good at it. And the fact of the matter is last year, I didn't know how to do most of the things I'm doing most of my time. Now I was able to, to learn them. Right. And it's, it's one of those things where, uh, yeah, just creating a culture where you can tinker, you can try, you don't have to be the expert yet. You can, you can just kind of pull that thread and, Mm. and figure it out. And we're so lucky. And I, I try and just remind the designers on my team that like, the stakes are much lower than you may think they are. Like (laughs) you're not going to break anything. This isn't brain surgery. Like the stakes are much higher in brain surgery or heart surgery, but like it's okay to fail. And we staff our teams so that they will have the support that they need. And I'll be in there with them. And if I notice that maybe they don't know how to respond to something or they're tripping over their words a little bit, I'll take a beat and see if they figure it out. And if they still seem to be struggling, then I'm there. I'm there to help them. And so the stakes are so low and we've, we're all supporting each other and helping them understand that it's okay to fail and we're here to help you, I think helps everyone relax a little bit and just focus on incrementally getting better um, at whatever it is that they're practicing. That's very cool. I know that we have talked in the past on this divide on West Coast designers versus versus everyone else. Being from another guy from the Midwest, what type of um, you know things have you kind of run into in in terms of company expectations around um, what you can do or what your skills are? Being that you're sure. just in this you know podunk Midwest I, town of Indianapolis. <laughs> I, I wish I wish I had a cool answer and I could relate it to like. East Coast rappers and West Coast rappers or something like that. But it's it's really not that uh, not that crazy. But yeah, I, I think being in the Midwest, we are sort of the underdogs. And that is changing. I think a lot of venture capital is starting to flow into the Midwest, you know, for cost of living reasons and things like that. And we've got really great schools here as well. They're not just on the coasts. Uh, right. But that being said, there definitely is a difference um, in sort of a perception of people who live on the coasts and people who don't. And I think in certain ways it is binary and I wish it was less so. So even in like online social circles, if you're talking about design, you see people getting accolades and their voices being amplified simply because they work for a household name company. The big B2C companies, I don't have to name any names because you know the ones that I'm talking about. You probably <laughs> follow them. You probably follow them yourself. And this is not to, to bad talk them at all. I think it would be really, really cool to work at any one of those companies. As far as my professional goals and what I'm interested in, my preference is to be a very large whale in a very tiny fishbowl instead yes. of being a very tiny goldfish in a very large ocean. And so I think. You know, it's it's hard to really articulate the difference, but I think I think a lot of it has to do with historic success. So obviously Silicon Valley and the New York right. cities and you know the Seattles and things like that, they have the big companies. That's where, you know, all those big companies are are laying their roots. And of course, that's where all the talent goes because they right. want to work for those big companies and and they want to be able to say, wow, I I have made an impact at this company that you have on your phone or this company who makes devices that you have in your pocket and things like that. And there's a lot to be said about that. And and I think it would be really cool to work for any number of those companies because those are the people who, in many cases, are on the bleeding edge of technology or design or brand or marketing, things like that. So there are plenty of reasons to want to go to those places. 
However, the world is a very large place. And if we're if we're just going with the United States, which is where you and I are from, the United States is a very large place. And there are lots of there are lots of problems to be solved and a lot of smart people in between California and New York City who need problems solved and have audiences of users who are struggling, who need help with challenges, that yeah. that need help in their jobs. And um, that's why I'm excited to work in the Midwest because there are so many people who we can help here. And, you know, we're, we're starting to get more clients internationally and across the country. And that's super exciting. But, you know, the Midwest and, you know, the flyover states, so to speak, will always have a special place in my heart and the heart of our agency, because they're the ones who VCs haven't traditionally thrown their money at, because they're not the sexy B2C app in yeah. social media or things like that, where in three months, you go from $0 in revenue to 10 million users and you're valued at a billion dollars. Like, you know, <laughs> just because we don't have that hockey stick growth, um, I think they've been overlooked, but there's a lot of money to be made, you know, in the, in the flyover states. And there are a lot sure. of really great ideas and incredibly smart people to support. And, and I'm just happy to be here to be able to help, help them bring their ideas to life. The, the funny thing is, is a lot of people who, who end up at these big companies stay for a couple of years and then yeah. a different company. And yeah. it's like, I think we all think in our mind, it's like, oh, if I could go somewhere where every where all my meals were paid, I got all these perks, this, that, and the other thing, you're like, I would never leave. Even that has its drudgery and it has its monotony. And totally. you're going to want to move on and do something new. Yeah. Um, so it's just, yeah, it's just interesting because you think like, oh, they have, they have everything they ever want there, but yeah, people are people and people want mm -hmm. change, you know? Yeah. And I, I think it just depends on like what you want out of a career and things like yeah. that. And for me personally, you know, working at an agency, I love variety and I love constant change and I love making impact at a smaller level and getting in earlier but, you know, the experience at a larger company who, you know, serves millions and millions of users, the challenges that they're able to solve and they're they're working their way through are completely different than the types of things that I see every day. And so, of course, the amount of growth uh, that, that they can see in a company like that is still, you know, of equal footing to the type of growth that I feel in, yep. in my role. And it just kind of depends on on what you want in a career. And I was talking to one of our product designers on our team the other day, and she said that a friend of hers works at Instagram. And uh, her friend was all excited because, because she had gotten to design a button, like a button or something right. like that, which sounds so silly uh, to us, you know, who I know you work with a, a variety of clients and I certainly work with a variety of clients. And so like we design thousands of buttons in a week. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's it's just such a different experience and process to get a button into an app that's yeah. used by hundreds of millions of people. And so, yeah. like, it sounds so little, but, like, I think maybe for that person, her friend, there's a lot of fulfillment in that. And, right. you know, maybe they love the research part of it or the data part of it or the testing and and really seeing that thing go from not being there to being there. And then all of a sudden you get reactions from users to see whether they love it or if they hate it. And so it's just, you know, they're just different pursuits and in, in careers and it just comes down to, you know, what you want. Totally. So we're almost at time here, but with our, with my last question, I wanted to ask if somebody, you know, new to product design, say maybe they went through a boot camp or they've been learning on their own and they're looking to land their first job as a product designer. What are the top things that you look for or that you would want to see from a young product designer looking to get their first job? Great question. And I'm, I'm happy you asked that because I'd love to give my answer and get my perspective out there. You know, before I alluded to the fact that in higher education, they don't always put a whole ton of focus on the visual side of things. But when we're interviewing for people, we absolutely will give preference to people who, you know, I don't really care what the portfolio looks like as like a collection of, of projects. 
but I'll look at an individual project. And if I see that someone has an eye for design or things are well-spaced and they're clean, it may not even be necessarily to my taste or my style, but if I recognize that, that they are making good fundamental design decisions, then that is something that gets me excited. So to someone who is pursuing product design or maybe interested in it, my best piece of advice would be open up a tool and just start designing things and practice and get very good at a tool. And very specifically, I have a tip for you to get really good at a tool. Do not try and invent something out of, out of thin air. Go on to a, a website like yes. Dribble. Yes. Go on to a website like Behance or open up your phone and take a screenshot and pull up a design that you like that you, you know, think looks beautiful or, you know, is a great interaction and literally copy it pixel for pixel and reproduce yes. that thing in, in a design tool. You will learn so much more copying a design than you will trying to, you know, dream up a, another to-do app or another Spotify app or another weather yep. app uh, that you see online. Find something that you love and copy it and get it as close to the original as you can and then do it again and then find something else and do it again you will learn things about spacing you'll learn things about contrast and color you'll things learn things about button placement you'll learn best practices and they will become so subconscious and second nature to you that once you do need to start dreaming things up and pulling them out of thin air it'll actually be much easier for you because you've already done it and you've gotten good at it, and you literally have developed those muscles within the product itself. If you're trying to learn product design and learn a design tool at the same time, your brain is gonna have quite a battle with itself because it is fighting priority. It is, yep. it is fighting, should I make a component out of this or a symbol and sketch? Is this the right color or not? Don't worry about that. Take that off the table, pick something that you love and copy yep. it. Because then all you're doing is you're focusing on the tool and you're mastering the tool. And then once you're good at that, then you can start putting your own seasoning onto things and changing yes. things up. And you know, then you can reimagine what the Twitter timeline might look like. But it's not until you've really developed your skills for seeing and noticing and mastering a tool. Um, it's not until you've done that that you can really expand and start doing things on your own. I can't like what you said enough. I I feel like you went into my brain and you picked out uh, what I try to tell people all the time about getting good at UI yeah. design. It's yeah. it's one of those things where it's like, um, it's kind of like a recipe. Like no one gets mad at you for following a recipe because totally. it's, it's just that. It's, it's right. meant to be followed. And right. I look at learning design in the same way. People, you know, they don't want to copy someone's work because someone's already right. made that and that's stealing. Sure. Sure. You don't want to claim it as your own, but right. please copy, learn how to make a beautiful design based off of someone who else who did it. It's just following a recipe. It's, it's helping you get muscle memory for how to use the tool and how to make a really cool drop shadow or how to make, you know, that gradient or that color palette or whatever. You are completely spot on. And I had never actually thought about recipes as a perfect corollary here, but you're totally Ooh, right. There you go. <laughs> if, 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 if you want to, if you want to make spaghetti, you kind of just have to boil the spaghetti and then pour some, you know, ragu like pre-made spaghetti sauce on it first, just to say, okay, I have made a basic spaghetti. And then the next time you make it, maybe you add a little bit of hot sauce to the uh, spaghetti sauce. And yep. then the next time you decide, you know what, I'm going to make these noodles by hand, or I'm going to make my own homemade sauce. And then that's when you start to become more of a chef in it. But when you're just learning the recipe, just follow the recipe and do it over and over again. And then you can start being creative. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, John, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming on and hanging out for for a while. You know, I know there's so much so much truth and wisdom in the things you've shared, and uh, I wish you nothing but the best. Thank you so much. Likewise, too, Seth. I appreciate you inviting me on, and uh, happy to talk again soon in the future. 
Thanks so much for hanging out with us today on the Product Design Podcast. If you enjoyed our conversation, be sure and go follow our guests. Let them know they did a great job and you learned a lot. Um, More to come in the following weeks as we bring on new guests. Please hit that subscribe button so that you will get these podcasts uh, and learn a ton about the product design community. Excited to see you next time. Thanks.